Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 215. I was hesitant on recording this show because our own financial situation looks a lot different than the general public. But when I shared the fact that we are entirely debt-free, I'm talking student loans, mortgages, car payments, condos, I got a ton of requests and questions about how we did it, how we planned for it, and tips for others to reduce the amount of debt they had. After I thought about it, I really do have some good tips because it didn't just happen by chance for us. We worked hard towards it. And so today's episode is going to dive into the how when I talk about achieving one of my biggest goals, which is being entirely debt free before my 30th birthday. For the record, I'm pretty competitive and we pulled off this feat when I was 29 and a half. Now, before we dive on into today's show, I want to share the review of the week from Jujubean889. The review is titled Real Life Practical Advice. Let's be real. There's a lot of life and business coaches out there nowadays, but Jenna is honest, friendly, and you can tell by the way she operates her podcast and business that behind the proper businessy stuff, we all need to feed ourselves. She truly wants to help and inspire other young entrepreneurs. Thanks, Jenna, for giving me the courage to run the numbers and take the plunge. I signed the lease for my dream studio space soon, and you absolutely contributed to the rising tide of confidence that I'm riding into this. Thank you so much, Jujubean, and thank you to all of you who are leaving reviews. Now, this show is a place where I've always committed to showing up real, to talking about the things that some people don't want to talk about. And so today we are going to have a conversation about money. And I promise you this to be entirely open. I'm sharing numbers. I'm sharing figures. I'm sharing the way that we did this. And I'm also just sharing tips that I gleaned while doing research for this episode in order to help you, the listener, out. So I hope you guys are ready to hear how we went and were able to become debt-free by the age of 30, or should I say 29 and a half. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. 
It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Download the free Poshmark app and shop millions of closets for great deals on the brands that you love. Poshmark is giving Gold Digger listeners $5 off your first purchase. Use invite code GOLDDIGGER5 when you sign up. Download the free Poshmark app and enter invite code GOLDDIGGER and then the number 5. This episode of the Gold Digger podcast... It wouldn't be possible without my friends at HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the management software of Team Jenna Kutcher. With HoneyBook, your clients get to view beautiful proposals, sign and pay effortlessly without ever having to print or mail a thing. All of your files are stored in one place so that you can access them from anywhere, your laptop or your smartphone. Deliver the ultimate client experience and save 50% off your annual subscription. To see how I use HoneyBook in my business and to save, head to jennacutcher.com slash honeybook. That's jennacutcher.com slash honeybook. I think that whenever we talk about money, we have to have some honest discussion. The way that we look at money is often shaped by so many factors, how we were raised, how we learned to earn money if we carry limiting beliefs around what's possible for us and the control we let money have in our lives. I often remember being a little girl My mom had me set three different mason jars up on my shelf, and each one was labeled. The first one was for saving. The second one was for spending. The third one was for giving. At a young age, I was taught the importance of saving money, even when I had a super cool new toy that I wanted to buy. We did different things as a kid to learn the importance of money in our lives and to also understand that it is a mere means of exchange. A few things that I really appreciate now that I am older are the fact that my grandparents, they set up a college fund for us and they would match whatever we gave them. So whenever we had a birthday or a communion or a milestone that would result in monetary gifts, we were challenged to give them some of our money, trusting that someday we could cash it in when we needed it more. So instead of giving us gifts, they would give us cards that would say, we put $50 into your account for you and share our statements with us so that we could watch that account grow. And I remember being a kid and thinking, oh my goodness, I just got $100 for my birthday. And now my mom wants me to give half of it to my grandparents to be put in an account. But I learned so much from that. By the time I was 18 and heading to college, that account had more than $5,000 in it. And I remember it was such a godsend to help me get through that first year of college debt-free. And I learned so much from that simple act that my grandparents did for us. It's something that I want to do with my own children. Now, my parents, they always encouraged us to earn money. They never laughed when we wanted to have a lemonade stand on our private dirt road that literally had barely any traffic. In fact, they encouraged us and supported our ideas, even the ones that included seeing a total of five cars in five hours. But hey, our neighbors were super awesome and we would get a few bucks and we felt like we had struck it rich. And I should have known that the little girl who loved to sell watered down lemonade and 
was willing to walk a half a mile to an intersection to get more traffic would someday become an entrepreneur. But some of those memories are my favorites. Now, my parents seldom handed out money. We always knew we had to work for what we got. And so if we wanted a special shampoo, like literally my parents bought Suave and I wanted herbal essence, then I had to buy it. If I wanted makeup, it was on me. My mom would make chore sheets and put monetary values on tasks that we could do in order to earn money, like organize the junk drawer in the kitchen or clean out the bathroom closet. And each task was worth a few dollars. And trust when I say that we did those things so that we could get the extras that honestly weren't necessary. Mom, you were right about that. Now, I did get my first job when I was about 14 years old, and I had attended the Red Cross babysitting course, and I became a nanny for a summer. I worked full eight-hour days and nannied for two children, a little girl and a little boy, and it was really hard work. And I was taught to wash all the dishes and to clean up after ourselves and to always leave the house cleaner than when I found it. And I laugh because I made about $20 a day. And I was stuck in the house with the kiddos because I couldn't yet drive, but I learned a ton that summer. And I remember just really understanding hard work and showing up and serving people well, even at that young age. One of the first times I was super aware of money and work and to never take either for granted was when my dad went on an unfair labor strike. The year was 2000. I was 12 years old. And the strike lasted for almost an entire year, which meant that we were living off of one income, my mom's. I was young, but I learned so much that year at the picket line as people would hand out gifts and bring food and the workers were fighting for what they believed in. And I also remember what it was like to have to cut back significantly because suddenly my mom was the only one being able to bring in money and our savings dwindled fast. I will never forget my gymnastics gym had a box out for food shelf and I scoured our cabinets to find something that I could bring in to donate. I threw in a random canned item, a specific kind of tuna that had been sitting in our cabinet for a while. And a month later, that box was anonymously left on our front porch in time for the holidays. And I picked up that can of tuna and I didn't know if I should be embarrassed or grateful that the gym had been collecting the food for us. Like it was a really hard year for my family. And I just remember having a lot of conversations about not to take work for granted and to, you know, always believe in yourself and to show kindness in seasons of abundance because chances are a season of need might be around the corner. And that was a year of that for us. Now, My parents didn't give us any money for college, and we knew that early on. The strike had pretty much drained any savings. We had loans, and so we were encouraged to work really hard to apply for any and all scholarships and to know going in that we were responsible for our education. I remember sitting at the kitchen table filling out countless scholarship applications and my mom telling me, if you get these, this will be the easiest money you will ever earn. And she was right. In the summer, I would come home to work. And the first year back from college, I juggled three jobs and put in over 50 hours a week. I also had a lot of interesting jobs. Like I'm not talking like glamorous jobs. I first cleaned limousines. I worked at Abercrombie and Fitch and smelled like fierce. And my ears were bleeding from the loud music every day. I worked in a pro shop at a local country club. 
and I led tours at the paper mill that my dad worked at. If you want to know of an interesting job, it is being a paper mill tour guide because not only is your job interesting, but the people that come for a free tour of the paper mill are also very interesting. The year after that, I came back home and I worked at the paper mill doing 12-hour shifts that rotated between days and nights. And it was probably some of the hardest work I've ever done, but it helped me to afford to get through the school year. Now, lastly, I've never had any sort of handout. I've worked for every penny. And so as we dive into this episode, I want to remind you that while I might be a self-made millionaire, I had no handouts, no trust fund. I didn't have any celebrity connections or the top business coach on planet earth. I have worked for every single penny and broken every barrier to get where I am today. And now I'm about to share exactly how we did it because I wasn't always a millionaire. In fact, I was far, far from it. So let's dive on into tip number one. I had to learn how to budget. I was recently talking to my sister and she was telling me that 90% of her friends weren't even contributing to their employer's matched 401k or IRA. And I was shocked. Like I was shook. That is basically free money and you were just a poor college student. So how could you not take advantage of something that so many of us wish that we had? I told her that I think it should be a requirement that before every kid graduates, they have to take a personal finance class where they learn the value of money and how to save it, and how to create a true budget. Now, I was lucky enough, I had an economics minor, that it was required to take a personal finance class, and I learned a ton from it. We had to sit down and calculate every expense we would incur monthly, from our cable bill to the amount of gas in our cars, student loan payments, dining out expenses, and really take a clear look at every single month. Now, at the time, I was a senior in college, and I did have a job offer from Target for $50,000 a year. It was during my second semester, so I was able to actually look at, here's what I'm going to be bringing in, and here's what's going to be going out, and it helped me to understand how I could save, and it also helped me to acknowledge expenses like car insurance that are easy to forget about. It was also soon after graduating that we started planning our wedding. The weekend after I graduated college, Drew proposed, and so I knew, here we go, another big expense. We threw a party for 200 people for under $12,000 and served pizza at our wedding because I understood that there was a need for a budget, and I knew that we were responsible for funding the majority of our wedding day. I use budgets all the time, you guys, to this day, whether we're looking at our condo expenses or how much to invest in my business or the payroll that is paying my team. I am constantly looking at money coming in and money going out and how we can minimize our overhead and maximize our profits. Too often, people don't actually sit down and look at their bank statements or calculate their true expenses. And in order to start budgeting for people who totally suck at budgets, you first have to start with what you know will be coming in. Now, this is super easy if you have a consistent paycheck, but if you're an entrepreneur, you want to start with what you know is guaranteed to come in for the month. And then you want to write down all of your expenses. If you're not sure if you've got everything, I want for you to pull up your credit statement for the last month or three months or use your checkbook to actually see. And then you can create separate funds for things that you're worried about if you're worried about sticking to it. 
Whether you do it within your bank account or create little envelopes with cash, which I'll share about, is a strategy from Dave Ramsey himself. Now, tip number two is this. Understand what living within your means is and then challenge yourself to live on less if possible. So when I graduated college, I had about twelve dollars to $15,000 in student loans, which considering the fact that I paid my way through all four years, it wasn't all that bad. Keep in mind, I was a scholarship seeker and worked hard all summer to help pay my way through school. But at the time, like I said, we were also planning to pay for our wedding and we were living separately before we got married. So our accounts were fully separate at this time. Drew did not have any debt, thank you to Mr. and Mrs. Kutcher from college, and we were both saving for the wedding together. At the time, I was living off of 50K, which was my salary at Target, and when I think back to my take-home, I believe I was making about $1,200 every two weeks. Do you guys want to know something absolutely crazy? Up until last year, so six years later, I was still paying myself close to that amount, even though I was making significantly more. Even as my profits went up, I continued to pay myself minimally so as to not change or shift our lifestyles too drastically. You see, I've heard of hundreds of NFL players filing for bankruptcy or Hollywood celebrities who make millions and are broke, and I've never taken earning a penny for granted. So while last year was my first million dollar year, I was only paying myself a small fraction of that. In fact, this year I was pouring over my profit and loss statements and realized that I was paying people on my team more than I was paying myself. The point of this is that our culture promotes purchasing. And with things like Instagram fueling this whole keeping up with the Joneses mentality, it's really easy to fall prey and feel like you need to spend, spend, spend. I mean, I know it's not a ton of fun to save, but the truth is, is that we knew we could live on what looked similar to that 50K salary that I had started out with. And so while we adjusted it a bit, we didn't go to the extreme just because my income had changed. So my question for you is this, what do you actually need to make? I'm not talking what you want, but what do you need to make first? And then you have to be really honest, like how much work are you willing to do in order to get that? When I look at my first days as an entrepreneur, I knew I wanted to match my salary before leaving my job at Target. And so I knew that I had to make about 50K. I was willing to shoot 25 weddings at about $2,500 each. And then I made sure I crafted an experience and marketed to that specific bride in order to reach that goal. Far too often in life, we get comfortable with our circumstances as they change, but I wanted to challenge us to continue living in a way that we had when we were fresh in our marriage and to really honor what we had learned in that season without going crazy. Now, I'll be honest, we're a little bit more flexible with our money, which I'll share about, but for years, we continued to live off what we knew we could instead of what we had. I think I learned so much that year that my dad went on strike because it's so easy to look at everything and think this is always going to be this way, but life can change at the drop of a hat. And so I've always lived like this might be gone tomorrow. And I think that that has been a huge reason that we've been able to become debt free. 
This episode of the podcast is dedicated to HoneyBook. HoneyBook is the tool I use to send invoices, collect payments, get contracts signed, and so much more. Save 50% off your annual subscription and find out how I use HoneyBook in my business every single day by going to jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. That's jennacutcher.com slash HoneyBook. Major shout out to Poshmark for supporting the gold digger today and for supporting those of us who just don't want to stand in line to do our gift shopping. With the free Poshmark app, you can score big deals on clothing, shoes, and accessories for men, women, and kids all without leaving your couch. Scrolling the app is like shopping thousands of closets and finding deals on your favorite brands like J. Crew and Loft, still brand new with tags. I found so many deals on lightly used handbags, new without tag shoes, and even vintage items too. A vintage designer wallet, an on-trend statement necklace, and even an ugly sweater for that holiday party. Those are just a few things I spotted on Poshmark. It's easy to list your own items too, so you can cash in on the clothes that you don't wear anymore, and shipping is fast and simple. Poshmark is giving Gold Digger listeners $5 off your first purchase. Use the invite code GOLDDIGGER5 when you sign up. Download the free Poshmark app and enter the code GOLDDIGGER and then the number 5. Now, tip number three is this. Reduce your spending. Now, if I'm being 110% honest, we didn't have to do a ton of work here because we're actually pretty cheap people. We don't spend a lot of money. I actually don't really love shopping and we only eat out about one time every two weeks. So we didn't have a ton of fat to trim in terms of spending. But for a lot of people, it can be shocking when you start to really look at your spending habits. Now, we never did anything formal in terms of a Dave Ramsey training or course or anything like that because we didn't have a ton of debt to start with beyond our mortgage and my student loans. I paid off my loans as quick as I could because I truly understood interest rates. And so anytime I had extra money or got a tax return back in the day when I still got tax returns or got a bonus from work, it would go right into paying off my college loans. And I overpaid the required payments just because I knew that I would spend that extra $100 if it landed in my bank account. But if it never saw the light of day, I couldn't spend it. Now, when we've purchased our first home, we were actually approved for a loan amount for double what we spent. Like we couldn't believe it. No wonder people are house poor. We knew what we wanted. We knew that we wanted to take the shortest term out possible. So our first home was about $195,000. Sorry, I'm going into specifics. And if this makes you uncomfortable, I'm really sorry. But in order to make this episode super applicable, I just want to lay it all out there. And so we did a 15-year loan at a super low interest rate. That's right. If you just did the math, we had been approved for almost $400,000 to spend on a house, but we didn't need a big fancy home for the two of us. And when we did the math, the mortgage was only slightly more than the rent that we had been paying for our two bedroom condo. So when we started to look at our spending and when you look at yours, here are a few things that you can do if you need to lower the amount that you're spending each month. Now, these are tips that you can just put into action in your life today. I want for you to look at the expenses from the last three months or at least the last previous month. And I want for you to devise a plan to make each category of spending significantly smaller. You could do things like consider changing your phone plan for signing up for cheaper options, even something like a prepay phone. 
I know of people who save hundreds of dollars each month in just changing up their phone plan alone. You can cut some of the extras like cable and start using Netflix and Hulu to stream shows on a Roku to eliminate high cable bills. You can reduce the amount of electricity and water you're using to save on those monthly bills. Turn off your lights more, slow down the AC use, watch the length of your showers or your sprinkler usage. You can call customer service for different subscriptions or services that you have like XM radio, car maintenance, garbage removal, and share that you're going to have to cancel or that you can't afford their service anymore. A lot of places are going to offer to reduce the payments, some by even more than 75%. You can consider creating things like homemade cleaners to cut down on spending too much on store-bought products. You can do a spending freeze on clothes or purchase used items from places like Goodwill, Rummage Sales, Craigslist, or local thrift stores. You can sell things of value that you no longer have use for or need. Do you need multiple cars for your household? Could you take public transportation? Do you have furniture that you're not using? Electronics that are just sitting in a drawer? Can you sell these things for money? Or maybe instead of ordering in or eating out, you can create a food plan and write out a grocery list. You'd be shocked at how much you can spend for one meal out and how many items you could have purchased from the grocery store for that same amount of money. Now, one strategy that I've heard works incredibly well is the envelope system that was created by Dave Ramsey which is basically sticking to the budget that you made in tip number one and then taking out that total amount of expense cash that you found and putting them into envelopes separated by category like personal expenses, dining out, groceries, entertainment. And you can use that cash and that's all you get for the month until it runs out. It really makes you cognizant of every dollar that is leaving your hands. Another way that has totally transformed the way that I look at spending and expenses is actually seeing it monthly. Now, about a year ago, I finally made the switch to having my accountants do my bookkeeping each month instead of me hustling around tax time and doing it once a year and being shocked at the results. And so every single month, I get a profit and loss statement where I can see how much I'm spending on things like payroll, advertising, equipment, subscriptions, travel. It's been huge in me feeling on top of what I'm actually bringing home and has gotten me super creative in structuring my team in a way that makes the most sense. There are things that you do as an entrepreneur where you sign up for a subscription and then you don't even realize you've been paying for it all year and you're not even using it until the end of the year when you run all of your numbers. There are so many people that I hear that are disappointed when tax time comes around because they thought they were making so much more than they were making or they hadn't accounted for certain expenses. And so for me, it has absolutely transformed seeing those profit and loss statements every single month and really looking at those numbers to make sure that I am really driving profits in a big way and minimizing my overhead. Tip number four is this when it comes to being debt free. I want for you to start small and work big. Now, we've never been big credit card people. In fact, I only use one credit card in my business just so that we can rack up frequent flyer miles so we can go to Hawaii. But beyond that, we use debit cards or cash. Once my loans were paid off, we had to upgrade our cars, but we had saved and saved. And then one at a time, we paid cash for our cars. 
We didn't get anything fancy. I had an 04 Honda Accord. Drew then upgraded to an 09 Honda Civic that we owned to avoid car payments. We have since upgraded our cars, but only do so when we can pay cash for what we truly want to get. By the time we were able to pay off our mortgage, we had moved into our second home. It was the last piece of debt of ours to tackle in order to be entirely debt-free. And the months were changing on the calendar, getting closer and closer to my 30th birthday. Now, let me tell you, I've always paid myself very sparingly, and my business account has been a place of saving and then reinvesting back into the business. But I remember when we told our accountants that our goal was to be debt-free by the age of 30. They had actually advised against us paying off our mortgage because our interest rate was so low that they believed we could make more money by investing that money over using it to pay off our debt. And honestly, it wasn't a wrong suggestion. It just was not aligned with my bigger goals. I remember the day we went in to pay off our mortgage. It was hilarious because we walked on up to the bank teller and she honestly didn't even know what to tell us. I'm fairly certain it's not a request they get often, but I had just come out of a big launch and I knew that my goal was to earn enough to pay off our house once and for all. And we were blessed to be able to do that. That was the final piece of the debt puzzle for us. Now that happened about a year ago. And since then, we only use cash or funds that we have. So when you look at things like our condos in Hawaii, we are paying cash for all of those transactions. We don't have any mortgages. Now, once you get really good at looking at what's coming in and going out and creating a savings for each month, you want to use a snowball technique. This is not what we had to do, but when I dug into being debt-free, this was a huge suggestion. So the first step is paying off of every single debt using this technique. So you can take your list of debts and put them in order from smallest to largest. And you want to start by paying off the smallest debt first. So in order to do that, your budget has to be really on point. You want to take every bit of extra money left over after making payments and taking out all of those grocery, personal, entertainment, money, and put as much as you could towards the smallest debt. You want to make minimum payments on all of the rest of your bills. And once that first debt was paid off, then you took all the money that you were paying into that first debt and you put it towards the next one. It's almost like climbing up a ladder or rolling a snowball down the hill. And so you want to start small and work big. I have heard of so many people that have done this technique and just the feeling of paying off that first debt is like being on top of the world. Like it's possible. And then you move on to the next and the next. Now, like I said, for us, our situation is different. And that's honestly why I was so hesitant to record this, but We have more tips to share with you. Tip number five is this. From a business standpoint, and this is important, gold diggers, it is all about figuring out revenue streams that can be scaled. Now, when I look at my first six-figure year, it was all about serving clients custom experiences one at a time. I had 30 weddings and was working around the clock creating custom experiences for every single client. And when I started to look at long-term goals and what my life would look like if I wanted to make more money, there were only two options left for me, raise my rates or work more. And I was already working around the clock, so option two wasn't really an option after all. 
I did raise my rates gradually over time. So in the seven years that I shot weddings, I started at about $1,000 a wedding and ended up at about $7,500 per wedding. So I was going in that direction, but I still knew that what I was doing was not scalable and it required me to be working in order to make money. Now, whenever I go to evaluate if something is going to fit into my business, I ask myself these questions. Could it run without me? Can more than one person enjoy it? How could I potentially automate it? And is it scalable? Can I grow it bigger? If you look at almost everything I'm focusing on today, it is a scalable endeavor that can probably be automated, whether it's online courses or online digital shop or creating more resources that can live on and be enjoyed by many like this podcast. The amount of projects that I take on that don't fit those parameters are extremely limited. And this is exactly why I say no to things like one-on-one mentoring or coaching, speaking engagements. They're just not scalable and they require me. So many businesses back themselves into a corner because they create a model that requires them to be working in order to make money so that the only way they can bring in more income is to either raise their prices or work more. And if this is you, I challenge you to start dreaming a bit bigger and thinking of ways that you can introduce either passive revenue streams into your business or create something that is more scalable. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I kind of get it, but I'm not sure. Here's an example for you. Drew used to sell wine. He worked nine to five inside of grocery stores, slinging wines and filling shelves. And when he went to become an entrepreneur to start his business, the Kutcher Method, we had to figure this little ditty out for him. And so Drew does one-on-one personal nutrition coaching and workout planning. But what if he could create an app or a course that could help more people at one time without requiring him to get on the phone with each and every client? What if he sold workout guides that numerous people could enjoy? Hint, he does this. What if he took that one-on-one aspect and did small group coaching? Or for my example, I was shooting wedding photography, but what if I could train an associate to work under my brand? That offered a little bit of scalability without compromising the amount of work that I personally had to do. But the real scaling came when I stopped mentoring photographers one by one and created my first course with the same content that I found myself sharing over and over and over again. So what if I could share more resources that I'd created for my personal business that could potentially save other people time and money in creating their own and have it delivered electronically? Now, when we look at being debt-free, so much of it has not to do with our spending, but more so with how we began to look at what and how we were earning. While I know my story is unique in what I have been able to build over these last seven years, I also want to point out that all of this happened due to making a lot of decisions, both on how we wanted to live, how we wanted to earn, and how we plan to save. As we continue this next season of life, we are so thankful that we can do so without worrying about debt, and we plan to continue to challenge our desire for scalability and automation and building things that can run even while we rest. My goal is to continue to live debt-free and to remain living as simply as we can while still enjoying the fruits of our labor. 
Money, it's not the root of all evil. It's merely a means of exchange. And so I hope that in today, sharing what we did along the way and some tips in order to help you reduce the amount of debt you have or to become fully debt-free, that your eyes are being open to the possibility and the freedom that can come along with it. Now, I am just so thankful for this business I've built and the way that I've built it because I know as we enter this next season of life in parenthood that I've built things that can run without me, that can be automated, that can serve people while I'm resting or hanging with our newborn. And so I want for you to really challenge, how are you earning your living right now? How are you saving? How can you cut back? How can you spend more time looking at how you can spend less money? And at the end of the day, I want to remind you of one simple fact about me. I look at everything through the eyes of time. Time is how I'm spending my life. How I spend my days is how I spend my life. Time is my currency. And I want to make sure that every minute I have on planet Earth is being spent in the direction that I want to go. And so when I make decisions in my business and in my life now, I'm not just looking at money, not at all. If that were the case, I'd be saying yes to way more things, but I'm looking at how I'm spending my days because ultimately that will be how I spend my life. So gold diggers, I hope today gave you a little insight into the way I was raised and how I look at money and how we were able to reach that goal of being totally debt free by the age of 30. And I've shared before in one of the episodes that I was afraid that you guys thought that we were living beyond our means, that we were living these lavish lives and and racking up debt. But I want to assure you that this goal of mine has been something that I've really aimed and worked so hard for. And I hope that today in hearing our story, it just reflects the potential that you have within your own life. Until next time, gold diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals. And I hope today you leave this episode feeling inspired and encouraged. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.